Well, I want to welcome again those that are watching from one of our campuses or maybe from one of the 13 correctional facilities here in the Austin Metroplex. And then our 5 o'clock service is watching as well. Come on, Celebration Church. Let's say hello to everybody that's joining us. Good to see you guys. I want to welcome those that are new to our church. We know that we have so many new people that are moving in, getting ready for the school year. You're coming in this summer. We do not want you to feel like a stranger. We know what it's like to walk into a church and maybe a larger church. I can just tell you we're not a big church. We're a little town. And so we know and we want to know each and every one of you. We know what it's like to come to this city and to come to a new area or to move and you're just wondering, will anyone or will I find anyone that I can do life with? When Lori and I moved here 23 years ago this coming August, we arrived August the 11th. And um, I just remember even going to Chick-fil-A, not knowing anybody, feeling lost at a Christian restaurant. How many know what I'm talking about? And I went, Lori, oh my Lord, what have we done? And here we are 23 years later and for this reason, We did what we did because we knew you'd be moving here 23 years later. And we want you to find your place in this house. And we've been doing what we've been doing so that each and every one of us will be what God has called the church to be. The ecclesia of God. The community of God. There's no such thing as a Christian by themselves. You are never allowed to walk by yourself for very long. By yourself is where you find swamp creatures and Bigfoot. You need to be in the house of God and be in community, doing life together, living together as it relates to the house of God and the word of God and all that to say we are excited about what God is doing in our church and this coming Wednesday we have the beginning of our WAVE conference. We've got several thousand students that are coming. We have about 40 more seats available. So if you have not signed up We have room for you, and I would encourage you, parents, if your son or your daughter has not signed up, or even grandsons or granddaughters, you got somebody that is of age, please get them here to wave. There will be thousands of students. And I also said this in our first service. There were many, and there are families in our church and people that we minister to who cannot afford the ticket, the $149 ticket that gets them so much. Of course, it's days and days of ministry. And I asked and I challenged the last service, and I'll do the same. If you'd like to sow into the next generation, because I believe and you and I agree that what this generation is facing is unprecedented. The change that is happening, the rapid change that is happening in this world, in this time, especially for our young people, where else are they going to get what they need except in the house of God and in the word of God? And if you believe in the next generation or you want to help make a difference in the next generation, I encourage you, buy a ticket for somebody so that we can call those families and say, we have enough for you to come and we want to invite you to come. We had several, in fact, about 50 or 60 people stepped up and said, we'll sow a ticket into the life of the next generation. So I'm encouraging you to do the same if you have the means or whatever you have. I know that it would make a difference. And we just thank God for each and every one of you. It's been a busy week, Lori and I. Last Friday, we married our baby boy, Jackson. He is now married and off the payroll in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He met an amazing girl, Kendall, and uh, they just got back from the Dominican Republic, I think, two days ago. And he sent me a text. Now, see, he's married. I did the wedding. I said, as I did for the other two boys, this is it, Jackson. I love you. Goodbye. And I didn't cry when I took them to college. When I took my kids to college, 
I, I cried on those moments. That's, that was hard for me. It wasn't hard for Lori, but for some reason, not to say she didn't have a heart, but I'm just saying that I broke down like a baby. And having performed every one of their weddings now, I didn't have a tear. I cried it out when I took them to college, but I knew that I was going to get rich getting them married or get a pay raise in the name of Jesus. Well, then Jackson, he sends me a text. Hey, Dad, the cleaning bill, they, they had a house that did a, a weekend with his uh, groomsmen. He said, uh, we, we had a house that was given to us, as you know, and they just needed $300 for the cleaning service to come and clean the house. This, is, this was like this week after he got married. How many believe that Jackson should be paying his own cleaning bill for his own, for his own bachelor party? Can I get a vote? Can I get a witness, somebody? Okay, thank you. We had a unanimous decision in the first service. And if you know Jackson, just hit him up and say, you're on the hook for your own $300 in the name of Jesus. And, uh, but not only did Jackson get married on July the 7th, but Lori and I, we had our 33rd wedding anniversary on the same day. He had the audacity to get married on our anniversary. Um, but uh, Lori, thank you for 33 great years and uh, 33 more years to go, at least in the name of Jesus. Jesus died at 33. But anyway, we're going to move on beyond that. And people ask, well, how 33 years, 33 years of of not just marriage, 33 years of being full-time in the ministry, working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have literally worked together. We have been living together, working together, fighting together, but doing life together and in love with each other. Even, honestly, more than I can say for me. I, I have more love and there's, there's more adoration and there just seems to be more pleasure in our marriage for me than it's ever been before. Where does that come from? And I want to connect where we are as a church. We've been going through the book of Ephesians. And we've been talking about, as Paul would talk about, the first three chapters in the book of Ephesians is really the great calling that comes to you and me in Christ. He calls you. The Bible says you've been called with a heavenly calling. You've been called out to sit with Christ in heavenly places. He calls you not just to be saved or to be redeemed, but the old theologians and some of the mentors in my life who died hundreds of years ago would say, he's called us into this cosmic Christ who rules and reigns in the universe in all creation. And we have been called to be not just seated with him in heavenly places, but to be his heavenly people. To be his family, you and I, his sons and his daughters, are no longer citizens of this world, though we're in this world, we're not of this world, we're citizens of heaven. We have a whole different world, though we're in this world, though we see and we feel and we touch and we go through what we go through in this world, but the reality is there's another world above this world that we live in already. That's the calling of God. That's why the Christians in the Old and New Testaments, we could read during their times of great persecution and suffering that they rejoiced in suffering. They rejoiced in their persecution. They counted it glorious to suffer for the name of Jesus because they knew what they were doing was preparing for them for an eternal life and preparing other people for eternal life. In other words, this world is not our home. How many are thankful this world is not our home? And this world is temporary. 
Many of us are stressing out that we no longer, for the least the next couple of hours, can water our yard in Georgetown. <laughs> Some of you were in the middle of the night breaking the law, watering that grass. <laughs> I was at yesterday literally pulling up shrubs and throwing them in the trash can. And I was thinking, you know, the reality is the earth fades, the grass fades and withers. The reality is we're throwing water on something that is one day going to die anyway. So just thank God for your dying grass in the name of Jesus. Let it go brown. Just pretend it's wintertime. But there are people literally, I know I've got neighbors that are freaking out over their grass. Freaking and just filled with anxiety and worry about how their zoysia is going to make it. How their Bermuda, their St. Augustine is going to make it. How many gave up on the name of your grass a long time ago? It's just weeds and crabgrass. Because that's frankly what it all is going to become. Now, I don't say that to be a downer. I say that for this reason. That Paul talks about this great calling. Then he goes into the conduct of the calling. You cannot say that you are a part of this great call. You can't say that you've been called with this great calling, and then yet conduct does not match the calling. Paul says, walk worthy of the calling. Match the calling. If you say that you have been linked to this great God who gave his life on the cross for you, therefore the display or the reaction or the manifestation of the understanding of the calling is your conduct. It's not so that you can be saved. It is because you are saved. It's because you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says you are already saved. But the Bible also says you are being saved. The Bible talks about a present salvation, but it also talks about a future salvation. And the reality is, is that Paul is bringing down to the church at Ephesus and other churches that receive the same letter, not just the calling, but the conduct. But then he's going to wrap up, and we'll talk about that in the coming days. He talks about the conflict. And the conflict being that you and I are in a battle. Whether you're a spiritual person or not, whether you believe it or not, you are in a war. You are in a battle. And the reality is that you and I live in a world that has fallen, and it has fallen because there's a foe, and his name is Satan. And he has come to seek and to kill and destroy. Jesus said, the thief cometh, the devil himself comes to kill and destroy, to wreak havoc, to cause chaos and to confuse. But then he goes, but I have come to bring life. Jesus is simply saying, I have come to bring order. That's where I want to go today. What Paul is writing to and what is Paul writing about is what has to happen if we're going to experience the power of God, and that is power comes out of order. I want to go to a fourth C that I have not talked about, and this is where we're going to go today. I want to talk about covenant relationship. Because Paul, as he's talking about this heavenly life to the, in, uh, to the, to the believer, and he's speaking individually... All of a sudden, he goes to two societies, or he goes to two organisms. He goes to what it means to be in the house of God. He starts talking about the apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, pastor. He begins to talk about us being as a family of God on the planet. But then he goes to another house, and that is your own personal house. And that's where he starts talking to wives. He starts talking to husbands, and he talks to children. 
In other words, Paul says, what is all of your heavenly life? What is all of your heavenly revelation? What is all of your heavenly power if it doesn't go home with you? What good is this service if it doesn't get in the car with you? If it doesn't change you, if it doesn't make a difference in you. Jesus said it's better that you had never heard the gospel. It's better that you had never even been a part of even this service if you have no intention to change. Because what ends up happening is you end up hearing the word or your children end up hearing the word. And then there is this connotation that we're Christians and we're believers. And then we go home and we fight like hell. And then what ends up happening is the kids don't want anything to do with whatever God you're talking about. How many would agree with me? We've all seen churches, Christians, religious institutions. The reason why they are out of power is they are out of order. Do not pray for power. Pray, though power is nothing wrong with it. We can talk about examples in the scripture of praying for power. But let me tell you what you need to be praying for is the order of God. How many want order? If you get order, can I tell you what you get? You release God's power. God is the God of order. Satan is the God of disorder. The church is supposed to be the manifestation of the order of God or the kingdom of God in the earth. Jesus did not come down to reform society. In fact, he didn't even come down to reform the world. He just said, I'm going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like. And it is to be manifested in the house of God. And it is to be manifested or it is to begin to be displayed in your houses and my houses. And that's why he goes, wives, husbands, and children. That's why he comes now to this understanding of covenant. So it's not just about the calling. It's not just about our conduct. It's not just about the conflict. But I'm going to add this fourth C because Paul says everything that maybe I've been saying, and you can almost intimate this, that everything that Paul's been writing in the book of Ephesians is so that it can be displayed in a picture, and the picture is supposed to be at home. We have three boys. One is sitting here today. Connor is 20... 26. I've been off on all my numbers today. Connor and Reagan, his wife, been married a little over a year. In fact, Reagan's mom and dad is here from, from Florida. The, the, the second uh, the boy I have, Jackson, of course, he's 23. He, he, and then Mason is 20, uh, what is he, 30? 30, 30-something. 30 anyway, <laughs> if anyone had a front row on what could have been a recipe for disaster, it's not just preacher kids, it's preachers who plant church kids. They have been with us since day one. Mason works on Capitol Hill with John Barrasso as one of his aides in the Senate, and then you've got Connor, and then you've got Jackson, two in the ministry. One is in the devil's world, but he's doing whatever he can to help our country. All that to say, they all walk with God. And people ask us all the time, what is it, how is it that you've built Three men that are absolutely men that are outstanding and, if you will, in, in many ways an example, but all love God. And they have not given us a day of trouble. And I have to come back to, number one, Lori. Number two, it's order. It's order. It's bringing order into our homes. It's living with order. And if you want to use another word, it's called foundation. 
How many have seen in Rolling Hills, California in the recent days, just outside of Los Angeles, in southwestern portion of the county? A couple pictures we have. This is in Rolling Hills where you've got foundations being destroyed. Houses are falling in canyons. How many have seen these pictures and some of these things that are going on? Many don't even know what's happening. Million-dollar homes, million-dollar condos, million-dollar views. And they're literally rolling. This is called Rolling Hills, California. (laughs) But they are literally shifting and falling into holes and abysses and canyons. Why? Because the foundations are cracked. No matter how big, no matter how massive, no matter how beautiful the outward is, Psalm 11, David writes these words. He says, if the foundations be destroyed... What can righteous people do if there's no foundation? David is even saying, as he is being attacked, when this psalm was written by David, he was being literally assailed. He was was literally having arrows thrown at him and people trying to take his life. And it was almost like David was thinking, man, I better have right foundations. Because when you see what we're seeing in this world today, and we're all seeing it at just a pace that it's unbelievable, That's why as a church, I got to keep bringing us all back to solid foundation. Foundation. Why? Because there is a world that wants to shift you or sift you out of foundations that God has established. Bible talks about, nevertheless, the firm foundation. Paul writes to Timothy, the firm foundation of God stands. I want you to notice, firm foundations stand. Firm foundations don't move. Firm foundations, solid foundations, godly foundations, biblical foundations don't fall because they see adversity. They can see trouble, but they're filled with wisdom. They're filled with understanding. They're they're filled with knowledge. And they spend, frankly, when you and I are careful, when we're walking with God, we want to spend, you better spend more money on your foundation than on your trim work. But we live in a world today that wants the trim work, not a foundation. We'd rather the square footage you ever been in some homes that have thousands of square feet and you can tell it's a cheap house? You can just literally almost punch a, a hole through the wall. You, you, can, you can just feel the house is, is just not solid. Oh, it's got thousands of square feet. Because what often happens is that people did not spend the money on the unsexy thing. They didn't spend the money on that which no one says, let me show you my foundation. <laughs> that's a good-looking foundation. Nobody says that. And the world, watch this, sells us everything on top but nothing below. And you and I have got to come back to what God, I believe, is trying to say to us in the book of Ephesians, and that is Paul setting foundations, foundation, foundation, foundation. Then he goes, now, let's bring this home, wives, husbands, children. The Bible says that we need, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, he says this reason. For what reason? For the reason that you and I live in a culture that is shifting and is moving and is rolling and is changing at a record pace. For this reason, we must pay close attention to what we've heard. And he gives us boat talk. Literally, it is as though a boat being disconnected from its mooring or from its anchor. We need to be careful that we are not losing or forgetting what we have heard in the past so that we do not what? That we do not slowly drift down the culture's way. This is what he's saying. 
This is what Paul was writing. I believe it was Paul. We don't have accurate records that it was Paul. I like to think it was Paul. I hope it was Paul. His fingerprints are on it. But regardless of who wrote it, what he's saying is, I'm watching people get caught up in what the world is going after. And I want us to talk about what every godly family, every godly marriage must have, and that is a foundation. And we're going to you, I'm going to give you five of them. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 for just a moment. Paul says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. What he's saying is, be careful so that as you are in this world, as you're walking in this world, don't be out of order. That's what he's saying. When he's talking about wise, he's talking about a person a woman, a man in order. Their thinking is after the order of God, the ways of God. But wise, you're walking in the wisdom of God, the order of God, making the most of your time because why? The days are evil. The days are evil. How many believe the days are evil? Every day we walk out, we're seeing a new trend. We're seeing something that is like mind-boggling. Things that used to be done in secret are now done in public. So then do not be foolish. Don't be out of order. But understand, be in order. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand, what he is saying is, you do not have to think that the will of God for your life is some nebulous spiritual will. It is a concrete foundational plan that God has for you. When we moved here 23 years ago, we had very clear picture that when we moved here, we moved here in the order of God. It released an energy. It released a power. It released a peace, even though it's been hard, even though it's difficult, even though it's had its day. When we moved here 23 years ago, we had an orderly, if you will, word from the Lord or a direct, if you will, command from God. And we got in order with that word. We began to align our lives with that word to move to Austin. Two years prior, after serving five years in South Louisiana, we moved to Baton Rouge in January of 1998, thinking we were going to plant a church in Baton Rouge. Now, we were not out of the will of God. We just moved to Baton Rouge, and we thought, well, let's move to Baton Rouge, and guess what we'll do there? Because we know a lot of people, and we had relationships. We'll just plant a church in Baton Rouge. When we moved to Baton Rouge, we had no life. We had no order. We had no power. We had no energy. We couldn't get anything moving. Nothing would come to pass. I'd, I'd do a little Bible study with four or five people. They'd come to the house as we were dreaming about maybe planting a church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And because we didn't have the order of God or the foundation of God's word leading us to plant a church in Baton Rouge, even the scriptures were dry. I'd do a Bible study. I'm like, this is terrible. I couldn't find a prayer for the city. Couldn't, though I had a vision, everything was without energy. It was without power. Nothing was coming together. Listen to me. Don't pray that things come together. Pray that you get order in your life or that you're ordered or you're on the right foundation. And guess what? Things will come together. Energy comes out of order. That's God's way. Have you ever seen people at the gym? How many go to the gym? Let me see your hand. Okay. Yeah. They're all sitting together. They all are in the same gym. But you've seen people who at the gym are half the size that you are, but they can pick up five times the amount of weight. I've seen it every day, my whole life. And I'll go over and try to pick up a bar, and I'm like, oh, I can't do it because I'm picking it up. My legs are like this. 
all scrawny. And I just, in fact, I had on Friday for my birthday. My birthday was on Friday. Thank you. And uh, somebody said, what would you do for, for your birthday on Friday? I said, I went to the knee doctor to measure for a knee replacement. Yay. And so when I try to pick up a bar, my legs are straight and I'm trying to pick it up like this. Well, guess what? How much weight can I pick up out of that order? Very little. And then you see some little guy that you would think, I can beat him up. He's got nothing. He gets up under that bar and he just squats that thing up. And I'm like, what in the world? He's in order. There's a power. There's a strength. See, things happen. Things come together when there is, in many ways, the absence of chaos and confusion. And the more chaos and confusion that is in a home, the more chaos and confusion that is in a family, guess what? The more weakness in that family. And the sign of life, the sign that you're in order, is that there's a sign of energy, there's passion, and let me also tell you, there's signs and indications that things begin to come in alignment with what you need. So we went to Baton Rouge in January of 98, nothing could come to pass. We move here, we arrive in Austin, and the moment we arrive and begin to take off the truck, our furniture, and we're beginning to move boxes into the house, we're meeting people that are this day still in our church 23 years later. This property that you're on, 110 acres, bought in 1942. I had a dream. I just said it on a Sunday morning. I'm believing God for 100 acres. We're supposed to be on I-35 on 100 acres somewhere in the Austin region, not knowing that in 1942 a man had dedicated 110 acres to the Lord and that he had asked God to bring the church that would reach the nations and the nations would come to this church with a university, with a school that one day would impact the world. We didn't know in 1942 that Mr. Barton had prayed for this piece of property that he had dedicated to the Lord. It was the order of God. See, quit saying, Lord, I need miracles. God says, no, you need order. I need you to get in alignment with my word. Where my word is, there will be all your resources. Where my word is, where you will find your energy. You'll find your passion. You'll find an indicator. God indicates to us that you're in his will. I delight to do thy will, O Lord. The psalmist said, I delight to do thy will. That literally means when I'm in your will, I find delight. God signals to you that you're right with him in joy and in peace and in righteousness in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in operation or in alignment with the Holy Ghost. So what he's saying is, don't pray for peace. Don't pray for joy. Pray for righteousness. That's New Testament. That's a law. Righteousness is what? The order of God. It's God's order. Why is it awful quiet in this Methodist church today? <laughs> That's God's order. And many people are like, I don't know why I'm not seeing God answer my prayers. God goes, I'd love to. But they're out of order. I'd love to move. I'd love to manifest. But your disorder or your dysfunction is creating a confusion in your life. You can't see, nor can you receive. At 59, turning 59, my birthday was Friday, thank you. I went, to, I went to Isaiah 59, and I went, Lord, 
I'm 59. Let's go to Isaiah 59. And the word says, thine iniquities have separated you (laughs) from my presence. I turned 60 Friday. I went to the next chapter. (laughs) I went to a better scripture. (laughs) Then he said, my arm is not so short that it cannot reach you. How many want God to reach you? Don't make it hard for God to find you. Oh, I know he knows where we are. The Bible says your sins and your iniquities, your dysfunction, your disorderly life, cause it not to come to pass. It's a law. How many went to bed thinking you were charging your phone only to realize your phone wasn't plugged in properly? How many happened last night? And you woke up, ha, my life is over. I just cannot turn on my sprinkler. Now I don't have a phone. I thought it was plugged in. It's out of order. And you just can't have one prong. You've got to have both prongs. And you've got to make sure that it's connected. That's all God is saying. And so he talks about get things in order. And then he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul was dealing with people who thought, well, I need a spirit. How many need the Holy Spirit? But they were going to wine and spirits. They were going to their favorite church called their bar. And he goes, guys, that's not the spirit that you need. That's going to only lead to dissipation. In other words, confusion. That's what he's saying. But be filled with the Spirit of God. Leads to order. Leads to not confusion, but to order. And therefore, you can now speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. In other words, your voice or the words coming out of your life or your life is not manifesting chaos and confusion. That's what he's saying there. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's amazing how when things are in order, when your life is in order, no matter what begins to happen in your life, you can give thanks for all things. Now he goes on to say, verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, now you think that's the hard part. Husbands, you're about to get the hardest part. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. I said to Jackson when I did the wedding on Friday, I said, Jackson, today you die. (laughs) You die. It's my first words to him. Die, sucker, die. (laughs) How many men know what I'm talking about? You died the day you got married. Jackson said, I can't wait to play golf next week. I said, oh, Golf is dead. (laughs) D-E-D, dead. That's Louisiana. He goes, yeah. I asked the wives. In fact, the order of God, the way of God, is that I've asked, in fact, when I made women, I made them with this understanding that they have been called because of the God of order. I have ordered and I've made women And I've made females to be in love 
with this man or to respect this man who is willing to lay down his life and love her as Christ died and laid down his life. As the Bible goes on to say, husbands, give yourself up for her so that you would also sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the word, and that your whole goal is to present your wife glorious with all glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Your whole life, men, is to make your wife shine. What woman doesn't want to submit to that? How many women would agree with me? It's, it's when you can, that's, you're made for that connection. You're never more female than when you're operating out of the order of God. You've been created by God to love, but also to respect the man that is laying down his life for you. He says, husbands, you also should do this for your wives as your own body. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. In other words, you're dying to yourself. You're taking care of her. And when you're taking care of her, you're taking care of you. Nourishing, cherishing, making it beautiful. Making her beautiful. As Christ also does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become what? One flesh. I know I'm talking, Paul says, mysteries. I know this is hard to understand. I understand that there are things that are beyond our natural comprehension, but I am not just speaking about women and men in the flesh. I'm speaking in reference to Christ in the church. This is a picture of God's order. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Verse 1 of chapter 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment of the promise, so that it will be well with you and that you may live long on the earth and get a ride home from church. (laughs) Or from the mall. Verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke, don't live with an atmosphere of irritation to your children, to your family, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction. Bring them up in the atmosphere of order. Let me give you these five principles that Paul is bringing. And I know the first one is a hot button. Every godly marriage and family has a foundation of roles. Number one, God makes man and he makes woman. He makes male and he makes female. Yes, we all have the presence of God. Yes, we are all together the same in God. Neither male nor female, slave nor free, Paul says. We're all one in Christ. But God is the God who made gender. And the world that we're living in now does not want gender, doesn't want roles, doesn't want lanes. God is the God that knows every organism, every organization has to have roles. Not wheat rolls, not bread rolls I'm talking about, but roles, wives, husbands, children. What is he saying? We all have a role. We all have a place. The Bible, though, also says we all have a role. But watch this. Verse 21 says, but be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. First understanding is that we've got to respond to understanding that God has created us with a role. And my role is different than Lori's role. 
And we all have a responsibility. Every team member has to play its part. Number two, every godly family and every godly marriage has a foundation of submission. Now, he ascribes it to women here. Why? Because women, as God has created you, to be the receiver. It's just the way God has ordered it. Yeah, but Pastor Joe, this is a different world today. I'm just telling you, I can tell you from experience, after 33 years of marriage, I am married to a very strong woman, a leader of a woman. But she also will be first to tell you that she also understands that God has created her in a certain role to be, as the Bible says in Corinthians, the head of every woman is man. Every man has a head called Christ, and even Christ has a head called God. It's the law of God. We're all called to be submitted. We're all called to be in submission. We're all called to play a part and to play our role. But he does ascribe to women, that is the role, that is part of the calling. That's when you are most female, when you understand that that is for the meshing together of one flesh. And we can say all day long, well, no, this is a new day. Well, guess what? Your new day will be a bad day. Because where there is not this understanding of how this works. And Lori and I are subject to one another. I am submitted to her. She's submitted to me. But she also will be the first to tell. And we talk about this a lot. How the order of God has made man. He's made, God made the husband to be the head of the home. And though I don't have to have all the answers, I'm going to be responsible for the answer. I don't know all things. Lori knows all things. But I'm going to be responsible for how we implement those things are not two pilots in a cockpit. There's a pilot and there's a co-pilot. The reality is, that's how God made it. And we often, of course, this is a hot button. This is a, this is a topic that people get all upset about. But this is how God has wired it. And that's why he says, take it up with the potter. Don't say in Jeremiah, why did you make me this way? God goes, I can create the way I want to create. And he's got an order. He's got a law. It's wonderful when we're all in our roles. Number three, every godly marriage and family has a foundation of sacrificial love. Here's the third thing. He says, husbands, your job is to die, but your death is a sacrifice. It is displaying covenant love. You're laying down your life. You're shedding blood for your family, beginning with your wife. And that is what sacrificial love So anyone that says, well, I don't like this submission part. Well, the problem is you probably haven't met a man that sacrifices the way Christ has wanted to sacrifice. That's the reality is that there has been through the fallen world dysfunction. Yes. Abuse. Yes. hundred percent. But the way God has ordered this, if there is the husband walking like Christ is walking and laying down his life like Christ laid down his life, nourishing and cherishing and washing and cleansing and protecting and caring, there's going to be this beautiful picture of one flesh. Number four, he talks about every marriage and every godly home will have a foundation of obedience. He said, children, obey. And of course, it's just simple. Children, who has, in fact, who is still living under the roof of mom and dad right now? Let me see your hand. I don't care if you're 55 years old. He promises us. He goes, this is the first commandment with a promise. Your life has to have this foundation of willing to be obedient to the people that God has put into your life to be over you first. And that is your mom and your dad. And the reason why it doesn't go well with people in their future 
is that if they had a struggle obeying their mom and their dad when they were young, they're going to have a problem obeying their boss when they're old. It's ego that you're training out. It's pride that you're training out. That's part of the training. Well, Pastor Joe, I got to let my child be who or she wants to be. We're dealing with this right now. It's called dysphoria. It's not judgment but we are letting and allowing at a 5,000% increase of gender dysphoria right now. People at five, it's a 5,000% increase of people transitioning from male to female or female to male. Why now? Why? Why? Why is there this record amount of transitioning going on? Why? If it was God, it would have always been like this. It would have not been all of a sudden what is now record amount. Why? It's because we are absent of parents pointing their children in the way that they're supposed to go. It is parents putting the pathway. You don't let them eat what they want to eat. You don't let them drink what they want to drink. You don't let them do what they want to do. You point them in the path that they're supposed to go in. It's a leadership issue. And that's my last point. Every home that is going to be godly and every marriage that's going to be godly has on it this foundation of leadership. It's called to lead. Called to lead. In other words, your family, God wants to use your family as a model, as an example. You remember when he told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he goes, you know what? I'm going to do something with you, Abraham. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you. And all the nations, notice in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he says, you're going to bring a blessing. Put that on the screen, guys. I'm going to make you a great family or a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And so you will be a blessing. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. I want you to see something. I want my marriage to be what God wants it to be. I want to be that man that lays down his life for my wife, Lori, so I can be that man that she will say, I want to follow where you go. And I want to go where you go because I trust you. I commit my life to you. Your life is in order. Now there'll be times when your husband is not in order. Now we're into covenant. Because anybody that gets married by chemistry will not last. Chemistry is not foundational. Chemistry is based on chemicals. (laughs) Why do you want to marry him? (laughs) He's hot. Let me tell you something about that chemical called hot. It will be gone one day. I remember seeing Lori in the choir and I went, that girl's hot. I saw her in the choir and I said, that's a hot girl. I want to meet her. Now she's still hot. She fell in love with me because I was hot. (laughs) By faith, I say this. But guess what? That hotness is not as hot in the natural. And I don't mean passion. I don't mean in relationship as it relates to our heart for one another. I'm just talking about our body now needs knee replacement. (laughs) And maybe our hair needs a little chemicals on top every now and then. 
Lori's really blonde by nature. And I got to get done because I'm running out of time. What keeps us together? It's not chemistry. It's covenant. Covenant is not based on chemistry. Covenant is not based on feelings and emotions. Covenant is not based on what you do for me or what I do for you. Covenant says I have made a choice. Like God gave and made covenant with you and with me. You were not lovable and he loved you anyway. You were not desirable, but he loved you anyway. You were not in a good state, but he loved you anyway. How many are thankful that God loved you through all of your mess? That's covenant. All that to say, Paul is bringing now from Ephesians these chapters, he's bringing us into what really is the fourth C, and that's a covenant understanding of God. The reason why we have the marriages that we have in our world today, and the reason why so many have really difficult marriages, is they married because of chemistry married because you were infatuated. You married because you loved their body. You married because of the sexual relationship or the intimacy was amazing. Guess what? That's not covenant. Because covenant says, I'm going to love you. And watch this. You need covenant. You know why? Because left to yourself, you'll quit tomorrow. I'm not going to get a piece of paper. I love her and she knows I love and we'll just, we just, God already knows. Oh, no, no, no. No, guess what? It's concrete. It makes you stay when you don't want to stay. And I can promise you, at the end, when you stay through the hard times, they become good times. And that love and that passion becomes character. It becomes like God. And the marriage becomes better and better as you walk with God. This is all Paul is trying to bring. And maybe today, maybe today God just wants you to get this one truth. Pray that you would get order into your life or foundation. How many want to be on the right foundation? Let me see your hand. Can we stand to our feet all over this place? I went beyond time. I know I did. What's new? Sorry. You know, You know, it's amazing how the world doesn't have a problem keeping you in certain places, certain spaces, certain atmospheres. In fact, you don't want to leave. Every singer, when he sings his last song, everybody wants a what? One more! Encore! And then when they come to church, it's like, I want to be out of here in an hour. Nobody's asking me for an encore. Well, I do it for myself. But guys, thank you. Yes! Okay. All right. Okay, okay. Stop. We are in the most real world that you can ever imagine. This world that we're a part of, it's a spiritual world. This is not fake. God is real. This world was made by God. Satan comes to kill, destroy, but Jesus came to give you life. And today, maybe you're on a bad foundation. You are rolling hill, California. Your life is rolling down into a pit. It's not if, it's when and how. God came to bring us out of that pit. Choose life because God has come to give you life. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, real quick. How many of you would say, Pastor Joe, I am on a wrong, faulty, broken foundation. My life is not in order. And today, God, please, please, by your gift of strength and the Holy Spirit, would you lead me and put me on a right pathway again? If that's you, would you just put up your hand right now all over this place? Beautiful, 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 beautiful. Some of you have never been saved. Some of you have never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Today's the day. He's the foundation. He is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. We can pray this prayer. In fact, let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, I want my life to stand for eternity. Lord, I want my life to be in your life. And only in you can I live forever. God, I know you are the way. I know you came down to save me and to deliver me and to pull me out of a pit. And today, I say yes to you. I trust you. You are my God. And you are the God who laid down his life for my life when I had nothing to give, nothing to offer. But because of you, I now have this hope of eternal life. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Now replace me. Replace my heart with your wisdom, your knowledge, your way, your understanding. I don't want my life or my home to be on a bad foundation. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I believe I'm saved right now in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, come on, let's thank God for his goodness.